You're tuned in to episode 14 of the Comics Pals, where a group of comic book journalists and friends have decided to record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. This is a direct spin-off of the new Star Wars movie. This is episode 14, The Last Marco. If you want to avoid spoilers or don't care about Marco, don't listen. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like I've been singled out, Phil. <laughs> a little bit. That was better. I felt like I had to set my game up this week. That's good. Yeah, that was good. That, I like that one. That, that was What was Marco? That was a long walk, but it was worth it <laughs> yeah, in the yeah. end. <laughs> I think that that week off did you well, Phil. All right, we're off to a raucous start. Uh, if you like what we do, you got to find us on the internet. You got to find us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at the Comics Pals, Facebook at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. Be sure to check us out on iTunes and leave us a star rating and a comment where we are a five-star rated podcast, for which we are very proud. You can also check us out on SoundCloud.com, too, at the Comics Pals, so we are everywhere. Uh, We are going to jump right into things with what we've been reading. Uh, I will start by letting you guys know that I have read nothing because I have been near death. <laughs> my eyes didn't work from the lack of water in my system. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was so much water in my system, dude. I drank so much water, and then it went right out of me. Oh. Uh, Pete, you want to go next? <laughs> yeah, I'll go first. Um, so I, I read a good amount this week. Um, I had plans to read a lot more, but I got into this one series that I'm going to talk about in a minute. But um, So I read uh, – I, I was doing an article for Comic Book Resources this week about times that Superman had killed, and I was doing a bunch of research, um, and that led me to like read a bunch of the comics that I was writing about, obviously. Um, but the ones I wanted to bring specific attention to were um, – I read this arc that Jeff Loeb did – on uh, Superman Batman called Absolute Power. Yeah, it's oh, that's not bad. With Carlos uh, Carlos Pacheco, I think is how you I, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, but um and uh it's essentially this um it's not an alternate timeline, but it's like the the supervillains um the what is it? The Legion of Supervillains from the future come back in time, kill a bunch of members of the Justice League and then raise Batman and Superman as their sons to become dictators of the world. Um and it was like just fucking ridiculous and kind of brutal and um i don't know it was just kind of the, one of those crazy like what if kind of stories or like something like elseworlds is dc's thing of that right yeah 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 see i'm learning about dc guys um <laughs> we're proud of you buddy hey if you if you want to go super deep i've got a great big thick legion of superheroes book you can borrow Yo, give me it. I'll, oh, I'll read it. Too much for him right now. <laughs> um, but what I what I really liked about it was that it was like it was like an Elseworld world story, but like it happened in the real timeline. So like the end of it, they were just like, "My God, we're gonna have to live with what we've done forever." And I was just like, "Damn, that's." Because there some brutal shit, man. Like, if I I don't know if you guys mind if I spoil uh, a fucking fifteen year old Batman Superman story. Yeah, twelve years old. Um, but my my favorite panel from it, not because it was the best, but just it was drawn really well. Um, was at one point Superman or Wonder Woman kills Batman, and then Superman takes her lasso of truth and fucking chokes her with it and like hangs her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's, and it's, it's like brutal. It's, yeah. it's so brutal. Like and. Uh, 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 it was like a panel out of the fucking Walking Dead or something. Like it was unreal. You read um 
You read Injustice this week too, which is more of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, I was gonna bring that up in a minute. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was sorry. No, no, you're fine. Um, I just <laughs> wanted to end with that because I have the most to say about it. Um, I also read this um, Elseworlds story called um, uh, Speeding Bullets, which is um, a what if story. If instead of the Kents finding um, Kal-el, it was uh, uh, Thomas and Martha Wayne. So they raise him as Bruce Wayne, basically, and huh. then they have the same, you know, Batman event that turns him into Batman, and he becomes Batman, but with Superman powers and stuff, and it's fucking insane. Uh, it was it was good. Good read. Um, forgot to write down who wrote that one, so I'm an asshole. Sorry. Uh, and then, yeah, finally, it was uh, Injustice. I read year one, and I think I'm almost done with year two. I don't know exactly where I am in it now. Um, so I read a ton of that this week. But uh, I was really into it. It's by Tom Taylor has done all the writing for what I've done so far. And there's a ton of artists, but um, uh, Bruno Redondo, uh, Jeremy Rapak, Julian Hungard, Bert, Mike S. Miller, Tom Dernick, and Zermanico. Uh, so I, I am so into Injustice. Um, I, I, It's exactly the kind of thing I always say I want when I say I wish that the big two would – uh, blow up continuity or do more books that were outside of continuity because i just like the idea that it's like all right you know there was this vision for this project they created it it's insular and you know i but i know these characters and like their relationships and everything have meaning and since i already know them i don't like i can infer the things that they want me to know or like they can give me subtle nods to fill in what parts of like the dc canon are in place here and then kind of just tell their own story and I just find that to be a lot of fun. You know, these characters are so well established and well drawn that putting them in um, just different kinds of scenarios and stuff like that uh, is always, I think, a fun a fun exercise. And um, it reminds me a lot of Mark Wade's Irredeemable, which I know I've talked a lot about on the show, which is like a book about a Superman-like figure um, becoming, you know, the basically the evil ruler of the world. And um, I like it because this actually is like a lot more nuanced in my mind that like Superman doesn't seem to be at least in the early parts of the book isn't drawn as like being evil per se it's you know he's mourning and not dealing with his pain and trying to protect the world in a way that's becoming increasingly misguided and uh it's just really tragic you know and i I just i'm getting a lot out of it and it's weird how it manages to find a lot of humor though there's still like um green arrow and harley quinn have like a really really hilarious dynamic there's a lot of quippiness to it i don't recall Um, if you've if you've mentioned it before, but did you play the Injustice uh, video game? I haven't actually. Like it oh. came out while I was in it yeah, came out while good. I was in college at like a weird time where I didn't like all my friends who I would play fighting games with weren't around really. So um, I'm actually thinking about going back and getting it now to play through the story once I finish year five though. Yeah, and I think the story would really appeal. I mean, you you like the book, so you would definitely like the storyline. The book is very similar to the story in the game. Yeah, and and I think uh, we're going to talk about Injustice 2 a little bit later. I think Injustice is a really cool little, like, pocket of the DC uh, universe yeah. that, like, I just I just love the game, and I love that they, they brought the story over into the comics. I think it's just really well done. And Tom Taylor is, like... A really great writer, and um, he's done a lot of good stuff with that. So. Yeah, man, and I mean, like, not not to harp on it too much, but it's just like I, I really feel the need to call attention to how much I like this book because I it's doing exactly what I always ask for, um, and I think it's just like he has a really good understanding of these characters, and I, as someone who is like 
casually familiar with all of the the major players in the book. Like, I feel like he does a really good job of giving you enough to establish them for people who might not be um, like familiar with characters that aren't like the big three, you know, like characters like Green Arrow or something like that, and giving you at least like the broad strokes of them in a book where they there isn't time to focus on individual people. Um, and it's it's just really good, you know. And I I think it, it's it's very melancholy, and it uh, it it captures a lot of um, a lot of emotion that I I think comes across very genuinely. So I I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, I'm sure a lot of people out there have already read it, but if you haven't, if you slept on it for whatever reason, or you just didn't hear about it, Injustice Gods Among Us, definitely really good. One one quick question about that before we move on. You said it was you said it was up to year five. Yeah, it's up to year five. They just ended year five. Wow, to him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I, I, really I know. Like, I feel like wow. the people stopped talking about it after the first year when it came out. And it like blew everyone away. But it's been like chugging along. Apparently, I didn't know that either until I looked into it. Yeah, I think I think right after year five is when the the game happens. Yeah, and they well they actually announced. Um, yeah, there. So it goes year five, and then because they actually say at the beginning of the book that it's five years before the events of the of the game. And then the game happens, and then they just announced that they're doing another prequel series to the second game. So there's going to be Injustice, I guess, year whatever or whatever, fucking Injustice 2 year 1, and then the events of Injustice 2 will take place. So I'm actually really looking forward to that, especially because Tom Taylor left after the third volume, and he's coming back to to Helmet again. And so is um, some of the original artists, I think... um, uh, what's his name? Um, Bruno. Something Bruno, rather, Bruno right? Redondo and I think Jeremy Rapak are both are both already announced to come back. I really, really hope that Mike S. Miller comes back because he is definitely my favorite artist on the series. Um, but either way, all those all the guys who worked on it were really good, and it's interesting because like it was originally recent released in like a digital format, so they were putting it out in like mini issues with like different artists on each one. So like reading it as a volume, like the art changes like a lot. And it's interesting because they're not similar at all, really, but it doesn't really fuck with it, which is something that I find really surprising. That's normally pretty jarring for me. Yeah, I'm excited for the uh, for the next volume. I think it's going to be really interesting, uh, especially with the game coming out. Phil, what have you read this week? <clears throat> all right, so I read um, Grant Morrison and J.D. Jones' Marvel Boy. Oh, okay. There was a deliberate pause on my part so that everyone could gasp in <laughs> approval. <laughs> um, it's really good. Um, it's like, I want to say it's six or seven issues. It isn't terribly long, but um, it's kind of one of the lesser talked about Morrison books, I think. But uh, it's really good. Stars um, Cree outcast Novar, who um, um, he's got a lot of like submariner aspects to his personality like early submariner like like, he, like he's, he's like, kind of an t- asshole <laughs> yeah he's totally an asshole i mean on a, like without a doubt um like one minute he's swearing while like beating up people and then the next second he's like saving people but like he's like kind of like a creed terrorist and that's very interesting in today's po- political climate um it's actually a really solid book. It's kind of trippy in the way that late 90s, early 2000s Morrison books are. Um, I think he wrote this right before he did New X-Men. I could be wrong. Um, but uh, that's totally worth checking out. And then I also read, um, I want to say this is one of Kale's favorite books. 
I could be wrong, but Darwin Cook's New Frontier. Yes, you are very correct. Yep. I haven't read the whole thing, but I'm um because it's pretty thick. Um, I remember when I watched the movie like six years ago. I'm like, oh, this the book is probably gonna be a breeze, but there's so much more content in the yeah. book. Um, and it's really really wonderful so far. Yeah, I lo- I love the New Frontier. That's uh, like it's it's the it's the book that that like makes me like yearn for the silver age of comics but it in sort of like a modern way yeah because it it, can you just tell us what it's about a little bit uh yeah phil go ahead okay well new frontier um takes place in like the 50s or early 60s um of like the dc universe and um it kind of deals with like bringing these characters together your iconic dc universe characters as they like it kind of has like that that forming of the justice league kind of thing before the justice league came about um is it like a different group of superheroes though or no that's our main guys it's superman it's batman it's wonder woman um but uh it's it's got like the world war ii kind of element to it and um or like the post world war ii like yeah the yeah and so, like, you see the relations of, like, Wonder Woman and Superman. Wonder Woman's, like, this, you know, she's, like, an aggressive, like, peacemaker. And, like, like even though it's Silver Age, it still has kind of a little bit of modern edge to it in the way the characters interact. That's cool. I mean, there's something about superheroes in that time period for me that just feels right. Yeah. Specifically the DC heroes. Yeah, and Darwin Cook has this just amazing way of, like, bringing that out. And, like, and as much as he loved doing that stuff, like, one of the things that, um, like, DC hired him for was to just sort of bring back and sort of highlight that look for their characters. And he got sick of it. So he started writing, uh, doing, like, the graphic novel adaptations of uh, Richard Parker's, uh, oh... It's it's a comic, uh, it's a series. Uh, fuck, I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> it's uh, a comic. It's a series. It's it's <laughs> Superman. And then I, this is a new segment of the series where Kale can't remember the name of a book he read. <laughs> I'm looking this up. Gosh dang it. Okay, so what I was going to say is like the big thing is like there's a transition between like the um, Second World War and the Cold War, and like there's a lot of paranoia of like characters like the flash for instance he wears all red like regular people are like is this guy a communist like there's like paranoia of superheroes. <laughs> i love that <laughs> yeah yeah but it's it's good because it like actually like it you feel the paranoia of it all which like i get like reading it it feels uh analogous to like what is going on in today's political climate a little bit and so like in that it's very cool kale you got it i tried to stall for you a little bit it's uh what is it come on no i don't got it oh okay it's it's richard starks parker he did it it, um so anyway it's this really gritty like um noir beat him up mob story and so he left he pretty much left dc so he could uh you know do some something dark and violent um and it's yeah it's awesome Anyway. I'm tired of drawing smiles. Yeah. Not only yeah. was that a segment where Kale got the name of the story wrong, but he did mispronounce the author's name. Uh, so I read. Are you uh, there, Kale? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so I read uh, 
the Omega Men uh, mm-hmm. in preparation mm-hmm. for our special thing tomorrow. Um, I'm, That's I'm, so I'm, good, that book. I'm only about halfway through, um, but I, man, I'm digging it. I'm I'm loving being back uh, with Kyle Rayner. Um, oh, Tom King handles him yeah, so well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are a couple interesting things. Uh, I'm only, like I said, I'm only halfway through, but like the relationship between he and Carol, uh, I, I'm assuming Carol Ferris because he draws her as like the star Sapphire. Um, I haven't stayed, I haven't stayed caught up with like the new 52 Kyle Rayner. I think they were dating or something. I don't remember because I also haven't kept up with the new 52 Green Lantern, but I remember reading online while reading when the book was coming out that people were pointing out like that I, I, I could be misrecollecting because this was like a year ago, but like, I think they were like an item at some point. It's weird. I don't like it. Um, but that's <laughs> the only part I don't like. It's anyway, real cool to be back, uh, in Kyle Rayner's shoes and, and to be, uh, uh, in such a, a, a book with so much turmoil. Um, I was reading it on Wednesday or Thursday and, um, at the same time I was also reading like news of all, all like Donald Trump's, uh, you know, big executive orders and stuff. And I was just, I was just getting mad. <laughs> um, but that's all I've done this week. Mega Man's so. really interesting because Tom King was like in the CIA and deployed in the Middle East. And I didn't know that. His writing of that. Yeah. That's fucking rad. He's got, <laughs> he, he, yeah. He has PTSD. Oh, sure. Like mild PTSD. Well, shit, but, I like, wish um, you had said that before I said it was rad. <laughs> oh, no. He like, it, it is rad in the sense that he channels that into his writing. Like. Omega Men is like his experience of being in the Middle East with like these um, radical organizations and like these corrupt, oppressive governments and stuff and feeling like you're in the middle. It's bananas. It's really fucking good. It's exciting. I'm looking forward to reading that tonight. I got it, um, what, I guess two days ago. And I just getting, didn't get a chance to read it yesterday, but I'm fucking really looking forward to that conversation tomorrow. We should plug that. I don't think it'll be up by now, but we're going to be doing a guest uh, thing on over on the Longbox podcast. We'll we'll give you a link to it next week or whatever when it goes up, but just keep an eye out for it. And go subscribe. Talking the about the Omega Men. Yeah, it's going to be a book club all about the Omega Men. Which, as we all know, is my favorite book of 2015. Marco, what'd you read this week? Uh, this week, uh, so I finished, um, I finished Fun Home. And that was a pretty, that was a pretty strong finish. It was. It, that was the um the biography that you were talking about. Yeah, last yeah, week, the right? auto, yeah, the autobiography. Yeah. It was really, really. Can good. you can you just catch up Sean and Phil because they didn't just briefly. Yeah, so it's basically a an autobiography about her. Who's her? Uh, oh, uh, sorry, Allison. <laughs> um, okay, Allison Bechdel. Just being, just being and, a uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, 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 and um, her upbringing. And her sort of discovery of becoming, uh, her discovery of her being a lesbian, her uh, sexual awakening, her uh, relationship with her family, with her father specifically, who she finds, well, I, I don't know if you guys are going to read it, but spoilers, he she finds out he is also um, a homosexual and has gotten in trouble frequently with the law and um just morally with the rest of his family about it and there's this whole uh, yeah I, I don't know that, that was basically it. That, that's basically the story but it ends on a 
it ends on a really good high note where she started comparing um the the one way that she would connect with her father was through literature and through through books and through their love of uh similar authors and so where uh, in the the last episode i was telling um kale and pete that the like the flashbacks were kind of making making the story disjointed the latter half uh, actually starts following uh, a more linear progression uh because it starts following okay like more of like above a book it starts not necessarily a set time but the the overarching like thought i guess is that it's sort of coming to uh, to an end and her father has uh has passed away or has has died uh in, in an accident and um so slowly it's like you're basically turning you're flipping you're literally flipping pages through uh not only her life but his life in respect to her and uh it all culminates in a nice very um, like a nice little package because she starts comparing her father and herself to characters in literature and mythology and um so yeah that was nice i finished that up and sounds very uh, sounds very up your alley yeah nothing about anything you just said sounds nice like i don't know if i would qualify it as nice <laughs> well it, it it ends in uh it ends in a very positive tone like she doesn't have any regrets she doesn't um blame her father for anything she sort of reanalyzes her she analyzes her life from where that where she is now and thinks like none of this is anybody's fault it's just sort of what happens in life and she has to accept that and part of growing up is accepting that that's cool um which yeah which is like the at least the message that i got from it and then i read a two graphic novels by warren ellis which were like kind of they were in the same book one was called the ocean and the other one's called orbiter which all deals with space and um it was uh, they both deal with space uh yeah yeah they uh the ocean is about a group of scientists uh orbiting europa which is a moon uh orbiting jupiter and uh for those of you who don't know uh, europa is theorized to have massive amounts of uh, water on the planet uh, under the the ice surface there's an entirety of an ocean and we're slowly getting closer to uh early scientists and nasa are slowly getting closer to confirming that this is in fact true the entirety of the planet is essentially uh just an ocean with an ice layering and due to internal stresses as well as gravitational effects from the other large moons and uh jupiter itself it causes shifts which internally heat up the planet which give it um, these geysers, which is how scientists analyze the contents uh, within the planet. And so that's how we start slowly, or that's how it's theorized that there's water underneath the surface and it's uh, at levels at which life could, could live. So um, I kind of came with that background of, <laughs> of knowing that stuff. <laughs> so the book wasn't as scary as it should have been because the, the whole thing was like, oh, there's like a, a, a race of people, of pre-human people living under the thing. And I was like, oh, all right. I mean, that could, sure. ha- that could happen. And yeah, you know, so, but I did, I like that it used a lot of hard science. Uh, there was a lot of things in it, like the, the biggest thing was uh, having a, uh, using concentrated uh, photons to 
like lift objects because photons have uh, momentum but don't necessarily they have momentum and energy but don't have any mass so you're able to like blast a couple of photons and it'll cause momentum in very small incremental amounts but like in the future they're working towards drives that actually use this um that's that's, that's the point uh, the story was cool, uh, and <laughs> the ocean was really Fucking cool. Fucking like, uh, Yeah, I know, right? For those of you who don't know, before I became anything related to whatever I'm doing, I wanted to be a theoretical physicist. So there you go, listeners. You know something more about me. Marco's a, Marco's a legit nerd, guys. <laughs> I'm I'm a legit like nerd about science and stuff. Long story short, it became like a small spy, like a kind of spy thriller, and um, it had a happy ending, as most of Warren Ellis's books. I'm sorry, how did we go from, it's, oh yeah, by the way, I know we just talked about, like, the ocean on Europa for a while, but it's a spy thriller. <laughs> it is, it's like, shit it about is, what it actually follows happens this, in that this book. guy. <laughs> I figured like, oh, there's like monsters under the waves, some spacemen go there, they get eaten by them or something. Nope, it's there's spies? <laughs> I'm almost afraid to ask. We can see where Marco's emphasis on this book lies. <laughs> Wow, Marco. Oh, you're like one of those people who reads, like, fucking Lord of the Rings, and it's like, man, those passages about the trees, though. (laughs) (laughs) Token really knew his bark. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. It's like, yeah, I mean, whatever. Destroy the ring. But what I really want to do is read the Elvish Dictionary. I want to learn to speak this language, though. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Oh, God. Uh, is that all you read, Marco? Uh, no, I, I finished those. And then... <laughs> oh, and then my. I was, I was saving this one for last because uh, I think it would have it's of interest to Phil. Uh, I started uh, Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on Serious Earth. It's a good book. And uh, I'm not enjoying it. Fuck you. <laughs> I feel like every time Marco reads a book that Phil's recommended, he's like, you know what? I'm reading it. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm only like within like a, maybe a quarter of the way oh, through. Oh, yeah. Um, you're no. Yeah, no wonder you don't get it. Like you're at the part where it gets weird. It's surreal yeah, so as shit, like, you nerd. <laughs> yeah, but. and dave mckean's art like i love dave mckean as a cover artist but his art in that book is throwing me off because it's so dark i have i'm having trouble actually figuring out who people are yeah you're right that book should hold your hand for you oh my god that was no that's sass i was about to say audience i wish you could see phil's face but then he just verbalized what his face looked like (laughs) with that bird so i guess we're all caught up Man, I love that book. I I think that book is f- fantastic. It's fucking us- seminal, you piece of turd trash, Marco. <laughs> let me let let me finish it, and I'll come back yeah. next week and be like, you know what, Phil, you were still wrong. It's the worst. I think he's contrarian deliberately. I, just, I think he's trying. Guys, do we do we fall into a pocket dimension where I I read DC and Marco talk shit? <laughs> <laughs> 
We're going to dip into the mailbag because we got some mail, and that's really exciting for us. Uh, and so, Pete, take it away and read what All we right. got. All um, right. We're going to start. We got another letter from our old pal, Steve. Uh, so, Steve! Woo! Shout out to Steve. All right, so I'm going to read it. Uh, it's a little truncated because it was a, a long one, Steve, but uh, we really appreciate the letter. So um, here it goes. Um Hey, pals, it's your old pal Steve. Thanks for the shout-out. Last week, uh, ooh, the last few weeks' episodes have been really wicked, and after the Batman episode, I'd be really interested in hearing an entire episode about comic book cartoon shows you guys like. And I never said Marco was my favorite pal. I just wanted to hear more from him and his opinions on things more. That was a burn. Try What? Well, <laughs> shit, Marco. Well, Steve, you're welcome, because you got it this episode. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right we got in the weeds on science and then i ended up talking about polygamy that's what happens when marco talks sorry <laughs> uh okay so trying to pick a favorite pal is very difficult though i think everyone has good opinions on things right now it might be phil because i feel like he's backed into a corner in almost every episode but supports his opinions very well <laughs> not false but good god man your jokes are corny okay <laughs> <laughs> true Kale, based off hey, your not wrong. Oh, okay. Kale, based off your recommendation, I read Titans Hunt and it was awesome. I was a big fan of the Teen Titans cartoon from a few years ago, so I really am interested in hearing what you guys think of that show and other shows. It was um, dope. Yeah, so we'll definitely do an episode about that. I think we already decided on that. So thank you for the suggestion, Steve. Uh, Pete, since you've been reading The Walking Dead, who's your favorite character? Uh, I had to think about this, and I, as like pedestrian as it may be, I really do think that uh, Rick Grimes is my favorite character because he's one of my favorite kinds of leading men, where I feel like he's a very simple archetype, but he's been thrown through so many unique ringers and had a lot of like really real kind of tough things happen to him that it's had him develop in an interesting way. And especially now where he is in the comic, where uh, he's no longer able to be a physical character because his body is just totally ravaged from the apocalypse. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's actually, like, pretty crippled now. Oh, spoiler. Um, but, yeah, so uh, – yeah, maybe we'll cut that, whatever, spoiler. Um, but anyway, um, <laughs> I, I, I like how he's grown as a character a lot, and he's he's been a consistently interesting leading man for me. Um, okay, so – oh, yeah, I wanted to give you my X-Men 5. Uh, so he chose Wolverine, Jean Grey, Gambit, Rogue, and Deadpool. I want you to know that I rolled my eyes at Phil's list. I hadn't even heard most of his characters. Is he like a big hipster in real life? Because if he is, he might lose my favorite pal vote. <laughs> accurate, I would say. Oh, fuck. <laughs> the, the most accurate. <laughs> Sean, if you were an editor at Marvel, how would you handle Riri Williams as a character over the next five years? What would you do with her? Sean? Uh, I'll answer that when you're done because that's a crazy question. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to need to take <laughs> uh, some time. Phil, please go on a five minute rant about All Star Superman again. I liked when you talked almost that it oh, when you talked almost that in episode eight, and I want to hear more about. I'll tell it. you what, dude. When we do our Superman episode, eventually I'll do it then. All right. Uh, and then I read it, but I feel like I must have missed something. Likewise, Marco. Hi. Oh, hey, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Sean, Riri Williams, next five years at Marvel, how would you handle it? All right, so it is – I thought about this, and I thought hard about this, and it, there's no way that I can chart five years of a character. Yeah, that's a lot. Because right? it's like – I don't think Marvel does that, right? So – but I think I can come up with like a good – sort of outline for where she should probably be going over the next couple of Like assuming of years. that she's successful and a popular character and everything. 
Right. It's some, yeah, exactly. I'm hoping that because Sean was sick this week, he's got like delirious influence story. <laughs> <laughs> he sat there and wrote a whole Fever Riri dreams. story. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bendis, if, Bendis, if I, I gotta w- talk to you. <laughs> 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 he had a dialogue with Riri, like in his head. <laughs> oh man! If I were put in charge of the character, the first thing I would not have done was included her in Civil War Two. Uh, mm. I think that was a misstep because most people didn't know who she was, and that includes fans and the actual characters. <laughs> no one referenced her. She was totally irrelevant. It made no sense. Um, so I would have. Taken from taken from where she was introduced, I thought that was great. And then the first issue of uh, the new Iron Man series, what they've been doing with her, is great. I would keep her away from all of the Marvel characters for the first year. I wouldn't have her interact with anyone except for Iron Man, like the the weird like robot Iron Man that's not really Tony because Tony's in a coma right now. And I would just have her learning the ropes. Uh, I would have her going to school. I think that she's a really she's a genius, and I think that that I mean we've seen that dynamic before, but it's kind of like getting to see a female Tony Stark go to high school, which I think is interesting, and it brings a different dynamic than what we get with Miss Marvel, who's also in high school, uh, because she's not necessarily a genius and she has her own kind of problems. So I think I think getting Riri just going to just going to school, just being a kid, would be really interesting. Uh, and then I would have her actually have a run-in. Her first run-in would be with the champions uh, because I think she's around their age. And I think that that, that could be a cool mix-up. So I would love to see her have a run-in with the champions, maybe like a team-up, and then join the Dude, team. this sounds like – this, and it's funny because I know you haven't read it, but this sounds like the first arc of Invincible. <laughs> oh, right, really? Kale? Huh. Yeah. Yeah, it does like, kind of. Oh. Yeah, kind of like keeping it low key, learning how to be a superhero, meets the teen team, becomes high profile. Yeah, it's like basically exactly how it plays out. Yeah, I think I think she would add something to the champions because they don't have that like technical technological based heavy hitter. Well, except um, for Vision, so th- right? Or uh, Vision, right? But I, I guess I meant like that Iron Man type dot, character, dot, you know daughter, I mean? like, little girl, Vision. What's her name? Vivian. Yeah, Vivi Viv. Yeah, Vivian. Vivian. Viv- yeah. um, nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, so then I, I guess I'm, I don't know where Marvel would be at that point in the series, but I think it would be really cool if uh, she joins the champions. And that book is all about like social media and like all that stuff. And then everybody's kind of like, well, wait, who the hell is this? Tony's dead. Who Who is this like new Iron Man character? So then maybe like Captain Marvel comes and tries to interact with Riri and Riri doesn't like her because obviously she killed or put Tony in a coma. So maybe they duke it out and they've got a battle and Captain Marvel's like, oh, you've got spirit kid. Uh, and then whatever the next big event that marvel ends up having riri i I wouldn't put her in center stage because that's a very bendis thing to do uh but i would i would want her to have a a role that kind of sets her up as like the next up-and-comer so like maybe she may if it's secret empire maybe she does something in particular that get that puts her on the map with the rest of the marvel characters and then i would love to see her ultimately graduate from the champions to whatever new avengers team comes out of that event as their iron man um and then yeah that's that's all that'd I got. be cool man 
I don't, I, I, I don't think you said this, but like you can see the arc there too, where they could like <clears throat> transition her out of being um, the head of the Iron Man book when they inevitably want to bring Tony back too. As, like, they graduate yeah. her to the champions or to, like, a bigger team or something like that. And, like, having her be, you know, get her own, like, Iron Heart title or something, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Because I definitely. feel like that's inevitable. You know, if she sticks around, like, she'll get her own, like, Miles Morales Spider-Man style book eventually. Yeah, I feel like I feel like she should be – she should have her own title, um, Iron Heart, within the first, like, two, three years of her character existing. Yeah, I feel like that first year that you were just talking about where she, like, is an apprentice or whatever, and, like, when she graduates that, like, that would make sense to them be like, all right, she's a full-fledged hero, she's got her own comic. Thanks for the question, Steve. Uh, I really enjoyed thinking that through, and... Uh, yeah, thanks so much for writing in, buddy. Yeah, normally I don't think about comic book characters in that way, kind of putting myself in there as, like, they're... as running them, so it was an interesting uh, thought experiment and exercise for me. It's funny, it's funny, um, because Sean actually said, like, he's like, I don't really like when people do that, like, I'm gonna do it because Steve asked me to, and then it's like, you came up with this really good answer, I was like, shit, yeah, that sounds legit. Bye, Steve! Okay, so... Uh, this one's this one's from Facebook, uh, from uh, Kim Tolentino Feld. Uh, so Kim writes in and says, "I used to be big into comic books when I was in when I was in much younger, and it, and then just lost that feeling. I started listening to the show because I wanted to support a pal who I work with. I started with one show and then ended up really liking it. I binged through eleven episodes in about a week." I would have never I would have done it sooner but it's hard with work and keeping a wife happy. I'm really I really am into the show as you can see. I like how you guys run your show. You do not have all the elitist personality that I've encountered for years from comic book fanatics that are about my age, 37. The pal panel is really welcoming and informative and I thank you for this. The show has really sparked up my interest for comic books. I really enjoyed your second episode. It was great because of Jess's insight as a woman in comics. I grew up in an era where I feel that women were objectified in their drawing, i.e. X-Men number 1 1991 when Jim Lee drew Psylocke coming out of the pool uh hearing it from her point of view is very enlightening thank you your new pal kim tolentino thanks for writing in kim and thanks for joining us awesome that was a really nice uh piece of mail and i'm glad you wrote yeah we really appreciate it the show. so yeah if you guys if you guys want to write in and hear your uh your messages or mail read on the air you guys can write into us at the comics pals at gmail.com that's T-H-E-C-O-M-I-C-S-P-A-L-S at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Um, but we would, if you want to get right on the air, we'd really appreciate it if you did send it to the Gmail. Makes it a little bit easier for us. And um, as more people comment, it gets a little bit harder to keep track of all that stuff on social media. So, um, yeah, please write in. We'd love to hear from you. So Steve actually ended his piece of mail with a random question for the week. So I'm going to read that and we will answer it. So that, so that means it's time, time, time for a random question of the week. There needs to be like a dubstep version of that. I got it. I'm on it. I'm on it. It's I'm gonna, it's gonna play. It's gonna play. <laughs> it's gonna play, and then Phil will say we need a dubstep version. <laughs> Marco literally jumped up. He was not paying attention. He went, "Ooh, ooh, yeah, I'm on it. I'm on it right now." <laughs> Someone say dubstep. So Steve's question is: Which people in comics have inspired and influenced you the most, fictional or otherwise? For me, Brubaker and Captain America have a huge place in my heart, and I'll read anything by Brubaker and watch her read anything with Cap. So, actually, dude, my answers, my answer would be similar to that. I really 
love Brubaker. Uh, Captain America has been a huge influence on me ever since I started reading Brubaker's run way back in 2005. So, um, God, that was so fucking long ago. Yeah, it was yeah, so dude. fucking good though. <laughs> I've reread it, and as a as a as a writer, Brubaker's run really influenced and inspired me. Uh, it actually taught me a lot of lessons about writing that I probably wouldn't have learned otherwise. So uh, big props to him on that front. And I still read everything he writes. I am a huge fan of every single book he puts out. And I um, I follow him very religiously. So the only other person that I would add to that list probably is uh, Grant Morrison. Because Grant Morrison, like I, I've said many times, I worship at his altar. His run on Batman really uh, is it's what inspired me to want to write comic books. So there's that. Um, and I just love the way he thinks about comics. So, yeah. Uh, Pete? Sure. Um, so I, I thought about this a little bit over the week. I wanted to give a couple shout outs, so I'll keep it brief. Um, for characters, uh, it's Spider-Man. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think I've said it on this show before. As a kid, definitely Spider-Man was one of my great moral teachers. Um, I think the idea of, um, you know, doing what's right because you have the ability to do what's right is something that resonated with me from a young age and is something that I've always tried to, to live by. So definitely Spider-Man. Um, also wanted to give specific shout outs to uh, Brian Michael Bendis, who in recent years, I've, you know, definitely fallen off from his stuff, but his run on Ultimate Spider-Man was very formative for me. I don't know if I'd be reading comics today if it wasn't for that run. Um, so shout outs there. Uh, similar for Brian K. Vaughn, uh, for the la- mm-hmm, uh, for Why mm-hmm. the Last Man, and I'm still enjoying Saga, still enjoying Paper Girls. Um, yeah, I read everything he writes, and um, has been a you know consistent creator that's um, influenced me a lot as a as a writer and a reader. And um, then uh, also wanted to give quick shout outs to Robert Kirkman and Brian Leo Mallory for or Malley for the same reason. Uh, just followed them for a long time and really enjoy their work. It's shown me a lot of what comics can be outside of capes and, um, you know, and tights and given me a lot to uh, enjoy and to evangelize. So if I didn't have those books, I don't know if I'd still be here. Marco? For me, also Brian K. Vaughn and uh, Why the Last Man, especially really, really important time for me, just like in terms of growing up. Um uh, also, um, Brian Lee O'Malley um, with his. Th- That's why Marco and me are boys. His uh, Pete and Marco tag team. There you go. Um, his Scott Pilgrim, of course, and then just like discovering his other books recently is uh, really really awesome. Um, and uh, oh, Neil Gaiman and Sandman, um, just because his their his take on a sort of supernatural actually his take on an idea basically is what the book culminates to so really enjoyed that and uh of course alan moore and swamp thing um because it's what a superhero can also be like not be a superhero interesting uh, Kale? Uh, yeah, so I think, I think I've said this before, but, uh, everywhere I go, I, I carry three books. Uh, Spider-Man Blue, uh, Identity Crisis, and, uh, the, uh, Iron Fist. Uh, so, uh, so I guess my answer is, uh, Jeff Loeb, uh, really, you know, he, uh, with Spider-Man Blue, he and Tim Sale really created a nostalgic version of a character that looked back at the best aspects of Spider-Man. And, uh, that, that was really important to me. And then 
Identity Crisis was the book that made me want to write comic books. Um, as like terrible as the events that happen in that book are, um, it was very like it was sort of like an awakening for me that like you can like do this stuff in comic books. Like you can take the history that's there and like shape it in a certain way that is good and like makes sense and is explosive. Um, and then uh, finally uh, the iron fist for me, uh, like that, that was co-written by Ed Brubaker and Matt fraction and then later taken over by Matt fraction. Uh, for my money fraction is uh, he's the, the writer like besides being me, like the more I can be like Matt fraction, like the better um, his stuff is, you know, it's, it's very inspiring to me. It's very, it's all very great. He's um, just a he's also great just like, guy. He's just awesome. Yeah. Like I, I really, he's incredibly talented. And like, I met him at Comic-Con a, a while back. It was like when sex criminals was, I think new. So like 2015, and um, he had had a scheduled signing at the image booth and came, did his signing, and then it was a bunch of people that missed out. So he came back and, like, against Image's will and sat down and did another awesome. additional signing, even though he wasn't supposed to. And was like, move. And he literally he literally looked at yeah. someone and was like, wow. move. Wow. Oh, <laughs> nice. And he sat there and, like, signed seven of my friend's comics. Like, he was like, put them all down. It's like, I'm here. Let's do it. It's like, just really, really nice guy. Very talented. Seems like a great dude. Okay. Phil? So, <clears throat> this is a... Grant Morrison show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next topic. Moving on. All-Star Superman. All-Star Superman. <laughs> so, while while I like and enjoy a, a great variety of authors... Um, that are all named Grant know, Morrison. Like Moore, of course. <laughs> Darwin Cook. Greg Rucka. Ed Brubaker. Jeff Johns. Uh, Jeff Loeb. Um uh, Abnett and Lanning, Milligan, I can go on, but Wade. So I think the two for me that had the biggest influence are Frank Miller on Daredevil. Um, Fuck yeah. Yeah, that's Fuck that, yeah. that book that's great... really hits home hard um, for any uh, lapsed Irish Catholic boy reading <laughs> Daredevil. It's just like, oh my god, the, the, the so Irish good. Catholic guilt is palpable. It's one of my favorite parts about Daredevil. It's just, it's just <laughs> it's like Dare, very... Daredevil's just Batman if he was broke and had Catholic guilt. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, of course, the main man is Grant Morrison. Uh. Uh, see for me with him no no wait do this do this but in a grant morrison voice oh boy um you all right, see sure <laughs> twist my arm won't you grant morrison thinks about comics like they're all real even though they're two-dimensional characters if you're right it transforms the characters long before i was born and long after i die Superman and Batman were alive, living real lives. <laughs> but they're fictional, but they're just as real as anything. <laughs> he writes his books as activated sigils. Like, the events of these characters are really happening. Like, it's all real. Um, and, like, like, to him, when he's writing it, this is all real. And um, this is, it's just two-dimensional, but, like, in the, in the, in the, in the grand scheme of the multiverse, like 
like this is all happening to him like to him this is like really happening and like it translates that way because he's writing it in a way like he he's so immersed in it like he's a method actor as a that's writer a, yeah. that's a great way of putting well it yeah and i at that when you like it's visceral like he's my fucking dude awesome yeah i I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Complete with bad Grant Morrison impression. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you revere him so much that you do a terrible impression week in and week out. M- mockery's the highest form of flattery. <laughs> <laughs> Mockery. <laughs> oh, man. Cool. All right. So let's dive into some news because there's a lot to it. Uh, again, Steve, thanks for the question. Uh, we are eager to answer your questions, you guys. Your random questions, we're more than happy to tackle those, and you can send them to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. You know what? Also, I'm sorry. I just thought of this. If uh, if you do have a random question and you want to send it to us on social media, can you like include the hashtag like CP random question or something like that so we can like have a way to organize them? Just give us something. Oh, that's a yeah, good you know, like yeah, That way yeah. we can, we can get sure. them that way too. So this week we're going to start off with a double dose of negativity, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh Jesus! We got a double shot no, we, of sorrow. We are. We are, are. we restarting? We already started the show. I don't. <laughs> uh, New York Times has dropped comics from the bestseller list. Uh, there were three categories for comics, and they've all been removed. Um, so this is the story when the email subscription. For the February 5th New York Times bestsellers list went out. It included a note saying, beginning with the advanced bestseller list edition that will be delivered today for February 5th, 2017, there will be revisions to multiple categories in the publication. These changes will span weekly and monthly lists. Those revisions were the removal of the bestseller list for hardcover graphic novels, softcover graphic novels, and manga. Uh, So, yeah. Did they explain why? No, there is no explanation. The only thing they said was... Uh, the following, um, we introduced a number of new lists as an experiment, many of which are being discontinued. We will continue to cover all of these genres of books in our news coverage in print and online. The change allows us to devote more space and resources to our coverage beyond the bestseller lists. That's the only comment they've made about Based it. on that last part that you just said, it sounds like maybe they're going to do something separate. And not have it be like in, on the same list because they just said it's to divert resources that they can better cover those things, right? Uh, not quite. He's more saying it. It sounds more like they're saying they're going to be integrated into everything else. Like, like you know, like if a if a if a comic book were to be a bestseller, then it would be on the bestseller list. But they don't have a list for that specifically. Okay. 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 So yeah, then it, yeah, if they're just going to roll it in that way, we'll probably never see one of them again <laughs> um yeah you know i can weigh in on this i have like an actual little perspective here so i um i worked with whyy for a good year and i was in on a meeting where their new vice president of like promotion came in and talked about how they wanted to like uh you know try to get more followers for whyy but they were talking about the new york times a lot because the new york times is like as a company has been going under a lot of revamping the last like six months to try to get more subscribers and stuff. So it seems to me that this is probably a move to try to like, I think they're shuffling the chair, so to speak. So do you, do you think that we're going to see some kind of like more dedicated 
probably novel. that's what i'm thinking uh, maybe oh, okay. though maybe not but yeah well maybe no one's checking it out at all like maybe their logistics that they're looking at like the stats like maybe it's like well no one cares about this that's possible too yeah like maybe our readers just don't give a shit about comics and we're not yeah. getting comics people to read the new york times by talking about them because they're clearly like they're focusing on how to like improve their content so that more people read the new york times because people are checking out the news less and less in general <clears throat> so i mean it's one or the other so yeah it sounds like either to your point that like it's either just not doing anything for them so they're going to abandon it or like maybe they are going to try to have a more um focused and like maybe in-depth kind of thing because maybe that's like a a thing that they're going to try and expand into to appeal to like younger millennial readers is to start writing about like geek culture and shit like that like i could see the new york times doing something like that and having like highbrow coverage of it you know Maybe yeah. that's maybe that's a prerequisite, or this is like a precursor to that. The big thing with the New York Times right now is they're leading this movement in journalism called virtual reality, which is basically making their news as integrated as possible. Like if you click like some of their front page news, like it's very integrated. There's like um, interactive uh, models and stuff. So if they are going to uh, do something else with graphic novels and comic books, it'd probably be a more integrated form of media, like in. Um, news yeah like one of their more visual projects that they've been throwing out in the last like three or four years they've been kind of ramping those up yeah exactly so that could like, be really cool keep an eye on it yeah definitely you know we'll update you when the story yeah, develops for sure it's just a little whatever even just seeing that is kind of sad because it's like hey man you know comics are relevant don't uh don't shit can us and i saw this i saw this kind of floating around on twitter but it was pointed out that uh uh, Representative John Lewis's uh, book March would have been uh, top of the num- uh, would have been top of the bestsellers list oh, this time because of yeah because of what like what Trump did yeah, yeah yeah so I don't know it's just, like I'm not I like I'm not <laughs> necessarily advocating that point but it's pretty suspicious oh okay I get what you mean so the other piece of negative news that I have to report is that. In an effort to cut 10.5 million, or sorry, 10.5 trillion dollars over the course of 10 years, Donald Trump is eliminating the National Endowment for the Arts and the National Endowment for Humanities. Um, And I actually did some research to try to get some perspective on this issue because I didn't really understand it. You know, you see just a blanket statement and it's like, well, that really sucks. But what are the, what, you know, what do both sides kind of think about this? Right. And it it sounds to me like this is, this is more of a symbolic thing than anything else. The right has wanted to have the national endowment for the arts cut for a really long time because that money has been used in many instances to fund Things that are anti-religious or anti-war or, you know, different things like that, that, you know, obviously um, Republicans wouldn't necessarily be cool with. And so they're finally getting their wish. They finally got a president who will do their dirty work. And that's kind of what this feels like to me. Um, but I don't actually know how much of an effect this will have um, nationally. I don't really know that it'll have a huge effect on 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 us as as people what do you you guys think i mean it's gonna it's gonna affect a lot of organizations man 
Yeah, PBS, NPR, definitely. Yeah, are, are both really going to suffer um, and are going to be now entirely dependent on donations, um, which is, you know, uh, I mean, if people step up, that's great. But if they don't, then, you know, we might lose two really, really valuable institutions. Yeah, a, a lot of people have this opinion about art that it's not valuable. Yeah, that it's not necessary. It's extra yeah, that it's not a necessity, that it's something for, for people who, you know, can afford to screw around. Like if you're in college, you know, what are you doing dealing with the arts? You should be dealing with science or, you know, trying to become a lawyer or something like that. And, um, you know, a lot of the comments that I read were things like, well, artists should either find a way to make money uh, without needing a handout or they should go into a legitimate field. And it, it's really interesting to me how that's the perspective that people have because so much of our entertainment is based in the arts, right? Like you don't think about it necessarily, but musicians are artists, uh, writers are artists, uh, artists are artists, right? Um, you know, so much of this is art-based. Video game uh, creators and developers are artists and everyone engages in one of those things, right? So it's just weird that you wouldn't want support for those things. And also just really quick, the, the actual tax that people pay for the NEA is something like 63 cents a year. Yeah, right. And that was the thing I was going to point out is, um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, who, if you don't know who he is, go Google him. He's a genius. Um, <laughs> literally. <laughs> what? It's true. He's literally a genius scientist. If you don't know who Neil deGrasse Tyson is, go look He's him a up. Physicist. He's a smart guy. He hosted Cosmos. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, Neil deGrasse Tyson tweeted out something that I shared the other day uh, where he said cutting PBS support, which is 0.012% of the budget to help balance the federal budget is like deleting text files to make room on your 500 gigabyte hard drive. <laughs> that was that was good. And that was funny. It's accurate, man. It's like you're trying to put a fucking superhero bandaid on a gash on your fucking neck. It's like, yeah, it's this beautiful symbolic gesture, but like, fuck you. Like, all you're doing is defunding organizations that educate people i mean in general in in general i mean like the course of defunding that's been going on is like very nerve-wracking having being involved with like pbs and npr personally and like cutting public news is fucking terrifying like well yeah man it's, it's an assault on fucking information <laughs> well most 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 media is owned privately and if we eliminate or, or marginalize public news, I mean, that that's a scary implication. Big time. Big time. So uh, hopefully that can be stopped or I don't know. Uh, hopefully people step up and, and help continue to fund those organizations because obviously we really need them. Uh, yeah, we'll be, we'll be including a link below where you can go and, and make your own donations if you'd like to help out. Yeah. Definitely a blow to the arts. Okay, so um, talking about how in our cultural zeitgeist, it seems like there's always this kind of an attack on people who endeavor in the arts. Like, well, why don't you get a real job? This is a hobby kind of thing. Um, I think to the ending of, Re of Superman Red Sun, which, you know, that's um, Mark Millar, but like supposedly Morrison um, wrote the ending for him or something like ghost wrote it like whatever it doesn't matter but the idea is that like in creating the perfect society like all of our like political leaders are people like who are scientists and like artists and like philosophers and dreamers and stuff and like you have to think 
that there's some merit to that idea because having a society run by like reptiles <laughs> basically is not working <laughs> cool so it's time for some uplifting news like i said this is for me and we won't belabor it but i really hope you guys like it too because i'm super excited all right so james cameron and tim miller the director of deadpool are teaming up to make a new terminator movie now terminator 2 is my favorite film of all time. I believe. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh. I believe that Terminator 2 is one of the more important movies that's ever been made for a variety of reasons. Um, but as it turns out, Cameron is returning to the series. Now, he hasn't actually done anything involving Terminator since Terminator 2, which is why the last three movies have been so average to bad. So here's the deal. David Ellison, who is of Skydance, uh, it's uh, their... Uh, a production house or whatever they had made terminator genesis and they're gonna they're, they they want to make a legitimate terminator movie so cameron regains the, the rights in 2019 and he's gonna kind of godfather the film uh he won't be able to direct it because he's busy with all 17 avatar movies Jeez. that they're making <laughs> james cameron isn't james cameron is notoriously bad at making um like sequels to movies terminator 2 he made because the abyss was a failure but um just really quick this this piece of news right here is the most exciting portion and i just like i, I need to say this so um according to deadline ellison is bankrolling an exploratory effort that includes engaging some top flight science fiction authors to find the movie creatively ellison still holds many terminator rights and blah 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 so they're putting together a team of science fiction writers to think the movie through, to think about where they could take it, to think about, um, you know, how society has changed and what is important to talk about technologically today. And they're going to bring that to, to Cameron and Miller and they're going to make a movie. I think that's genius. I'm so excited. But it's <laughs> just really cool. exciting that they're doing it. And it's gonna, like it's guaranteed to be good because it's James Cameron and Tim Miller. That's just awesome. Well, I hope so, man, for your sake. Let's let's talk DC a little bit. Let's talk DC films. Oh, because... DC. I'm an expert in DC now, Sean. <laughs> I would, I'll have you know. This bit of news could have you raging. We'll see. Uh, The Flash film is getting a page one rewrite. Yup. That movie's in trouble. So it it could be, right? No, it's in trouble. That that could mean... Okay, so knowing, knowing where DC has been recently, right? That doesn't bode well. Uh, And it lost its director. That's the thing that's more telling is that it lost its director and then is getting a page one rewrite. Those are like back to back, really not good signs. Hasn't it lost two directors? Yes, it has. (laughs) So I I think that taking it in a a different direction, that could be good or bad. You know, we, we really don't know. But anyone who's familiar with the development of films will tell you that anytime a movie loses its director, goes through a rewrite, and has all these things happening. It doesn't bode well. But if you look at Ant-Man, which was in a similar space, that was a pretty good movie. So, you know. It's hard not to get scared by what's going right. on with the DC It's Because it's like, it, yeah, Marvel pulls it out of the fire. But is DC going to? They can't seem to make a movie execute well when they don't lose two directors and need to rewrite the script. Ooh, burn. <laughs> that's not a bad point so it's like marvel had the machine ready to pull up and fix it you know like i don't 
DC hasn't proved that they have are in any way capable of doing that. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I personally have been really uh, looking forward to this Flash film, and so this is unfortunate to hear. Um, hopefully, they can figure it out. I don't know if it for me like if the original script was gonna look anything like the other DC movies. I'm happy for a page one rewrite. Like, yeah, that's, that's true. Not a, that's not a bad point. point. Like, if uh, like to me, if if you ask me, like, if you make it more, if you make it more like the show, the better you'll, the better off you'll be. Um, like, short of casting Grant Gustin, like, I don't think there's uh, anything wrong with making it look a, at least a little bit more like the show. I, dude, I don't know. I I even feel like it was kind of a missed opportunity. No, to absolutely. Cast him, one hundred percent. Like he he's got cachet. People like him. They know him as the Flash. Like I don't like Grant Gustin. Nah, shut up. Let's hope it doesn't look like the show, right? <laughs> that ties in with a couple weeks Shout ago to our episode where we argued about Spider Man as a Netflix show. Uh, but yeah, to 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 Pete's point, like yeah, not not cashing in on those. Um, on those TV properties and using Stephen Amell and Grant Gustin and uh, Melissa Benoit as uh, you know existing DC uh, properties was a hu- like those are the things that are doing yeah. well. You should capitalize a, on a them. huge <laughs> mistake. It and it's hard to argue against that because for the sake of continuity, I like I don't really think I want to see more than one actor playing the same character. I, I feel think like that's, that's going to be so fucking confusing to the average person. Yeah, the average person will not get it, and I understand why they wouldn't get it. If you're a diehard Flash television show fan, when you go to the movie, you want to see that. You want to see that play out. That same actor, the whole supporting cast, that makes sense to me. That It's logical that people would want to see that. The problem with that is that oftentimes when a movie is made from a TV show, like, like it follows a TV show, it's usually not that great and it's also usually a little too contingent on watching the show it's hard to like the x-files they've had two movies and they're like like the first one feels like a it feels like an episode a two-hour episode and the second one just isn't very that said like the the one of the things i'm finding about the show is that the the flash uh, in general he's uh he's a lot like batman in that he's his rogues are like the, one of the most interesting parts of the story. And so the problem with the show and lately the Flash comics are that they're focusing on like the reverse, you know, bizarro aspects of the Flash, the reverse Flash, the uh, uh, Zoom, Thawne. Um It's just like it's it's good, but it's like there's so much more interesting stuff to be done. And like those characters need to be saved for something like a movie. Well, I mean, the whole first season, I've only watched the first season, but, like, the thing that worked about the first season is that they stretched Eobard Tharn throughout the entire season, because he was, like, really the only good thing about the show, in my opinion. Well, I mean, I disagree with that, but the the next two seasons were reverse flashes. We had the Black Flash and then uh, 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 Zoom from Earth 2 or black whatever. Black Flash? <laughs> Was he actually black? It's anti <laughs> anti-flash. Well, he, oh. he's, he's, he's deaf, basically. Oh, cool. Let's let's move on because uh, Suicide Squad director David Ayer has a wish. He wishes that he could go back in time and make the Joker the main villain of Suicide Squad. Yeah, that probably would have been a good idea. You you know you know you're in trouble when one of the directors of your films wishes he could go back and make a better film. Yeah. So a, a, a fan went on Twitter and lied and told Suicide Squad director David Ayer that he thought the movie was a masterpiece. He lied and 
he got David Ayer to reply. And he said, would I do a lot of things different? Yep, for sure. Uh, and then he said he really tried making something different with a look and voice of its own. Um, and then he said he wishes he had a time machine. I'd make the Joker the main villain and engineer a more grounded story. Yep, uh, that would have helped. He went on to finally uh, say, I'm lucky to have the job I have. I have to give the characters the stories and plots they deserve next time. You're absolutely right, David Ayer. You are absolutely right. So next time, here's an idea. Don't take the Enchantress, right? A villain of cosmic proportions and make her the centerpiece villain among Killer Croc, Deadshot, and Harley Quinn and expect me to believe that they're going to be able to defeat her. Thank you. Uh, hang on, Sean. They had Captain Boomerang. <laughs> oh, whoops. <laughs> he makes a good point there, Sean. And he had his pink unicorn, so he's fine. <laughs> Not to mention, to your point, Sean, that like the idea of, hey, the Joker's on the loose. We're going to get his girlfriend to use his bait and then a bunch of like guys like Deadshot and stuff to track him down and take out the Joker because Batman won't do it. Like That would work. That's a ready-made story. Yeah, and it's like it could literally have been like the mission is to kill Joker and then Harley Quinn rescues him at the end and they escape or he gets away and kidnaps her or what the fuck ever. But like it's built in right there. Amanda Waller would want to destroy the Joker. She wants to prove the Suicide Squad. Like, there you go. Yep. We didn't even even need the Enchantress. We love shitting on Suicide Squad movies. Because it was bad. (laughs) We love shitting on DC movies because how else will they learn? Uh, DC, we are available if you uh, you want to consult us for writing or creating, you know, the film. That's uh, thecomicspiles at gmail.com. That's thecomicspiles at (laughs) gmail.com. Just don't hire Marco. Definitely hire Marco. Yeah, let Marco make your Swamp Thing movie. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh. The dream. <laughs> listen, listen. Can I can I make one executive decision about the Swamp Thing movie? We get Guillermo del Toro to direct. Oh, That's it. Oh. Otherwise, I'm hands off. Otherwise, I'm hands off. <laughs> I get the production credit just for putting him you, in that role. Do, That's do. it. Executive producer role right there. So let's let's shift gears really quick. There's still a couple of news pieces to uh, dive through. I want to talk a little bit about comics because we are a comic book podcast uh so the really? original we don't just venom. talk about movies sorry i said really we don't just talk about movies <laughs> no sometimes we talk about comics the original venom that being eddie brock is returning to the comics in april and apparently he's going to be in the venom suit again uh that's that's interesting because i cared about that 10 years ago like i really wanted that like when i was like 16 <laughs> And now I don't care. And now they're giving it to me. Return to so, the status quo. Um, <laughs> Ten years too late. Yeah. It's a weird choice to do this now because the Eddie Brock character has moved so far beyond the Venom symbiote over the years. Uh, so he's been he's been Toxin at some point. He was Toxin. No, no, no. He wasn't Toxin. Toxin's a different character. No, he was definitely Toxin. Uh, in this IGN article that I have in front of me, uh, it says that he that Brock himself was last seen in the pages of Carnage, where he was bonded with the Toxin symbiote and joined a government-sponsored task force charged with bringing down Carnage. So that was just yeah, that was a, a more recent segment uh, of his life. Yep. 
But but you're right in that Toxin was someone else. Yeah, he was bonded to a police officer. Yeah, yeah. When he was first when he first came out, that was his uh, that was his storyline. Eddie Brock has also been anti Venom, which I thought was really cool for a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. And so to bring him back to the Venom symbiote, you know, I'm sure that there are some people who will be really excited for this. But I just I don't know. I feel like they really took him far away and bringing him right back is like you know why it's a step back. Yeah, big time. But uh, if you're a fan and you're interested, that's going to start in Venom number six, which drops in in April. So right around the corner. Moving on to some other comic book news. Uh, This is actually an exclusive from CBR. Uh, So Claudio Sanchez's Amory Wars returns with a new series in April. Um, Claudio Sanchez is the lead vocalist and guitarist of the rock band Code in Cambria, of which I'm a really big fan. And the comics have actually been really good. So um, he's going to write it along with his wife, Chandra Eckert. And actually, Rags Morales is going to do the art, which is really cool. Ooh, that's yeah. Cool. yeah, wow. Yeah, he did the art for the uh, New 52 Action Comics run, which Phil is a really big fan of. So, And also Identity Crisis. Yeah. yeah. Read it. Uh, so the storyline is going to be based around their third album, Good Apollo, I'm Burning Star 4, from Fear Through the Eyes of Madness, uh, which is actually my favorite Coheed album. So I'm really looking forward to this book. Um, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah for, I, for those who don't know, like, that's, that's a thing. Like, th- this is, you know, his latest comic. He's done a comic for every album that they've ever written. They all are, like, it's a it's a mixed media experience. Frick, yeah. I had no idea. The the albums are actually, like, these this huge plot. There's a whole storyline. And when you listen to the music, you can piece it together. The There's, comics, like, characters and... Yeah, yeah. The, the comics give you, like, a, a more concrete way to view the story. But if you just want to get it through the music... I mean, the music's great. The story's great. Check it out. We already talked about Injustice. Um, but Injustice 2, the prequel comic that Pete mentioned earlier, finally has a release date. It's going to make its digital first debut on april 11th Woo! Um, so that's that's awesome and the injustice 2 video game has a release date as well and it's really exciting because wait, wait as, say, sorry, the, say the release date you're like it has a release date and then you didn't oh, say it. <laughs> oh it's uh may 16th the injustice 2 <laughs> game comes out on may 16th uh have you guys caught the trailer for the game yeah yeah um the game looks pretty cool um i really like that brainiacs in it like yeah that that dude's my fucking guy i'm just interested to see where this world is like this for this many years down the road like where where is earth now what did the trailer say like a lot the 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 allegiances have switched or something or something yeah the the story now is it, it it's it's picking up from the years after the first game and now they beat superman and it's He's in the Phantom, He's in the Phantom zone, zone, and it's going right? to revolve mainly around Batman's efforts to rebuild in the wake of Superman's defeat. Uh, though, if the previous comics are any indication, expect a massive cast and many twists and turns along the way. So, there's a lot to it. Brainiac, obviously, is going to be in the game. Some really interesting characters like Gorilla Grodd, who I'm really excited to play as. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Supposedly yeah. Darkseid's in it, too. Oh, surprise, surprise. Yeah, supposedly. Yeah, he's like the, when 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 you boil down the DC universe, he's always like, "This is the big yeah, bad DC." Was, but yeah, yeah, the final, especially boss. here in the past twenty years, like, yeah, yeah. But Gorilla Grodd, fucking yeah. awesome. I agree with Kale. So the other b- 
big piece of video game news that was announced. Fucking hype on this shit! This is awesome. Pete, I don't can know I, if you want to... Yeah, yeah, can I do this one? Okay, so um, I think it was yesterday, two days ago at the time of this recording, um, that uh, Marvel teased that they had a big announcement coming, and then we got a trailer uh, that showed that Square Enix is publishing a new game being made by Crystal Dynamics and Eidos Montreal, which are um, two of their really, really big development studios. You might know them uh, for being uh, Crystal Dynamics is behind the recent Tomb Raider reboots and everything. Um, that the three of them will be partnering together to uh, put out a new Avengers game, and we got a very, very brief uh, teaser trailer that seems to outline some kind of story about the Avengers kind of being outcasts or whatever coming together and. Um, I'm assuming it's going to be its own thing, not related to the movies, but I would assume that it'll have a, an aesthetic similar to the MCU, uh, based on what we saw. Yeah. And not, not too much more to go on beyond that, but the pedigree there is really exciting. These are like really big names in video games that have done some really great stuff. And um, specifically, um, Crystal Dynamics leads me to believe that it's probably a third-person action game, which would make sense for a superhero thing anyway. Um, Dude. So, yeah. I can't tell you how excited I am for this game. Oh, dude, yeah, I'm really into this. Um, I think like this is shows shows a really, really um, very exciting trend for Marvel that they seem to be taking with video games, where they're seeking out like very, very high quality talent and individually giving different people different licenses instead of giving like Activision all of the Marvel license or, or giving Sega all of the Marvel license or whatever. Um, so like, you know, we've got Insomniac working on that new Spider-Man game for the PS4. Now we've got, you know, this, uh, what I would assume was going to be a multi-platform game being published by Square Enix. Very exciting stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, what, it, it could be a lot of different things. I'm wondering what kind of game this is going to be because I was always a big fan and we're going to talk about games uh, throughout the rest of the show, but I was always a big fan of the yeah, Ultimate yeah, well, Alliance real quick, we're, we're moving over to our main topic. We're going to talk about <coughs> video games, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so uh, that's starting officially now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I was always a big fan of the Ultimate Alliance games, X-Men Legends games, and I'm kind of like clamoring oh, for a yeah. game like that to play with my brothers and play with my friends. What do you think this is going to be? I, I liked, just real quick aside, I like the X-Men Legend games. Um, I don't think that the Marvel Ultimate Alliance games were very good. I feel like we remember them with very rose-colored glasses. Number one was fine. Number two was objectively bad. Well, let um, me... let me. I played the first one like a year ago. This, it was fucking awesome. I like it because I have, I have two brothers to play with, and I have like a bunch of friends. So like for those reasons, I love the games. But as games, they're not necessarily the best. I'm just saying like they they should bring back games like that and just make them well. That's that's what I'm looking for. Get like fucking Blizzard to make it. Like just make it with the Diablo oh, engine. You know, yeah, like, fucking that would be perfect. Yeah. Just take yeah. out the loot. <laughs> um anyway uh this is not me telling people how to make game design stuff choices that's i do that on my other channel um so what i think this is based on what we've seen here based on the pedigree based on who's working on it i think it's a third person action game i think it's about the avengers i think you're gonna play as a team of probably about five avengers and i think it'll be the avengers that we see in the movies uh for me for me for my money this uh this imagery really brought up uh like the uh the age of ultron comic with like the uh, the fallen heroes and like the 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 fallen uh, Captain America shield, uh, but it also brought up uh, like uh, images of uh, the Marvel zombies too. Uh, just you know, with like the uh, I was gonna say with uh, like specifically, I don't I I don't I don't remember if this was a trailer I saw somewhere, maybe like a fan video, 
uh of like um uh the spider-man's like you know detailed like glove on the ground or whatever um but that's what that's what those images brought up to me was were those for stories. me i was I, I was thinking it's some kind of invasion story maybe I think it's going to be like maybe even very similar to the events of the first Avengers, like not necessarily beat for beat, but like a there's an invading alien force. The Avengers need to unite and fight them. And it's like, a, you know, action game where you play the five Avengers and maybe you can switch between them. Maybe you play one at a time uh, and then you're just kind of like out in it fighting a massive fucking force that's way bigger than you kind of thing. I'm ready for that for sure. Yeah. But I think I think no matter what, it's very clear that it's a third person action game. That's good. That I I've no, Pete, you're like a, you're the video game pal. Um, over the last like seven years, what what video games has Marvel put out other than like uh, Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom three and like Lego Avengers? Have they put out? I know they've done like mobile platforming stuff with like Avengers Alliance and stuff, but yeah, they had that mobile fighting game they put out. But um, there's uh, the big thing has been Activision has been the license holder for Spider Man for for fucking forever. I don't even like. I was yeah. I was gonna. Since I was gonna bring up the uh, first one. I think the PlayStation One game. What is it? Shattered Dimensions. Yeah, that was. Shattered oh, Dimensions. Oh, I forgot was the last about that. Yeah. They put out, and then after that, they put out another game with that same engine in like under. It was like under two years, which is not enough time to make a game, and it was bad. Uh, and then they had the Amazing Spider-Man movie tie-in games where, again, the first one was okay, and then the second one was apparently rushed and not very good. Um, that's been the big thing, uh, is, like, before that, Sega had, uh, the rights to Marvel characters for a while, and they made some, uh, some games based off of the movies as they were coming out. Like, not necessarily related to them, but, like, they made an Iron Man game. Um, I think they made, like, a Captain America game, too. Uh, and then there was like a Deadpool game that came out a while ago, but that wasn't them. So it's like, there's been a few Marvel games, but they're all like, they're all that level of video game that you don't see anymore, which I like to call like a tier, which is like games like that fucking people like THQ and Activision put out where it's like, they're shitty, like, like they get seven out of tens consistently. They're not terrible games, but they're just not good. And that's pretty much been all of Marvel's output ever. That Iron Man game was truly bad. That yeah, was that was well. Sega's this the game Sega made were legit trash. Um, and uh, and then there was that X Men game that came out a while ago too, X Men Legends, which its premise is fucking brilliant. And if it'd been made like by a good developer like Bioware, it would have been a fucking amazing game. But it got yeah, or not Legends. It was something else. But basically, the premise of the game. The oh. Um, Children of Something, the Atom? I don't think it was that complicated. But anyway, <laughs> what the game was was like you were you played an, a new X Men. You picked one of these three cr- pre created X Men characters, and then you either join the X Men or the Brotherhood of Mutants and do some right. shit. Wow, and that's that a, game yeah. that's a brilliant idea for a game. If that was a Bioware game and it was like uh, morality, you make choices, and the choices you make matter. And or if that was like a Telltale game, like either of those would be that would be fucking amazing. But wow, X Men forgot about that. X Men Destiny. Destiny, that's yeah. what it's called. Yeah, and famously, the story behind that was the uh, the hack asshole who was the lead developer on that uh, title. If you want to look it up, uh, was funneling money from that game that he was being paid into another game that he made that was also not good. Yep. So it was like not finished. It was like total trash when it came out. So yeah, Marvel traditionally has like it's very clear they did 
their video game strategy was very similar to their movie strategy in the 90s where they were like, we're burning money, we're bankrupt, we need to just sell the rights and make quick buck and it doesn't matter if they're good or not because it won't ultimately damage the brand. Um, and it's like they're finally – it seems like Marvel made the decision of just being like, hey, so we're fucking rolling like rocking face in every other medium where superheroes are a thing. But those Arkham games though, what if we had those? And it seems like we're going to get some. So so – so let me let me frame this this topic a little bit because comic books and games have been synonymous with each other for a really long time. Uh, I've personally been playing comic book based video games my entire life, uh, and they've all kind of been like a mixed degree of success and failure, right? Um, yeah, or comic just bad. book. Most comic most book, of them are bad. I would say most of them are probably bad, but I've got a lot of fond memories of some comic book games, like comic book arcade games, like the uh, the Spider Man game. I don't know if you guys ever played that. The arcade uh, one was it the one that was ported to the NES or the Super Nintendo? Yeah, where you could yeah play that game as, was good. Where you, you, you actually like took pictures and stuff, right? Oh no, not that one. I know oh, the one you're talking about because that game was actually good. Like, I love that, that was, game. That was pretty legit. Like you could like roll around and take pictures you like actually had to like be like peter parker sometimes it was, i don't know it's cool yeah yeah i i do enjoy that there's there's the avengers arcade game which was ported to uh consoles home consoles yeah where you that's could play not as... good you didn't like that game no oh man it's like listen man i played it when i was a kid and i had fun with it but it's like my my retro show over on Slack and Slash, we've played a lot of those superhero games. They are most of them are not good. They are like they do not play well. They do not control well. <laughs> I will play any of those games any day of the week. So let me just let me just shout out a few of the games I used to play, and I want you guys to dive in and also like from that era, like the Sega Super Nintendo era. I used to play uh, that Avengers game we just talked about. I used to love the X Men games, X Men X Men uh, One, X Men Two, where. Yeah. Yeah, for Sega Genesis, they're all, are, they're all hell bad. yeah. Oh, they're not, dude. X-Men dude, we, I literally went back and played them recently with my friend who was like, "I love this game." I like, I love this game as a kid. I we gotta play it, and he was like, "Oh my god, this destroyed me." I had such fond memories, dude. I play those regularly. Like, I Still? love those games. Those are the games I go back and play. You're, oh man, you're, huge you're fan. An animal, Sean. You're an animal. <laughs> the the all the Batman games, right? The uh. Batman, the uh, adventures of Batman and Robin, where you play as Batman and Robin, and it's just the, based on the television show. It's like a side side scroller where you throw batarangs at things. Do you have that um, one where you uh, where you fight against the Joker? Uh, is 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 that the one where you fight him like on a truck, like a moving segment of trucks yeah, for his I birthday? Yeah, so. it's like a kind of blocky platformer. Yes, yes, yeah. I love that game. Um, also the the Batman Returns game. I don't know if you guys played that. That was a good one too. I had to. I had. I had Batman Forever for the Super Nintendo, yeah. and that was garbage. That was. That was garbage, dude. I'll play that game any day. I'm telling you guys, like, any yo, of these just because you like playing them though, don't mean they're not <laughs> trash. <laughs> Come on, man. So, so what? What games from that era specifically do you guys have fond memories of? Those games are like a little bit before my time to date myself a bit so it's like i played some of those games um because i had like friends with older siblings that had super nintendos or genesis's or whatever um uh oh batman return of the joker that was the game i was thinking of and then revenge of the joker was on the super nintendo um 
So yeah, I've I've played a good amount of them, like more so on my channel, Slack and Slash, doing like let's plays, um, just going back and playing old ones. There's a really terrible X Men game on the NES um, that we played that like <laughs> was one. Of, it was the first time we ever had somebody like quit mid let's play where they were just like, I'm done. I can't I can't fucking play this game anymore. So like I, I was I just kept going, and my other friend came and sat down. And I was like, here, you try it, and he was just like, oh my god, he got through like one screen before it was. It's like. Go go go! Watch my video on it if you're interested in seeing what it looks like. But it's like the backgrounds like are all like Technicolor and like moving, so like you can never tell where you are and what's happening. The hitboxes are fucking terrible. When a character dies, they stay dead. <laughs> like so, it's like it's so bad. You like you cycle through the X Men like one by one until you're left with like the shitty ones that don't have any abilities. <laughs> it's such oh a t- yeah, yeah, it's yeah, so yeah, bad. Yeah. It's so bad, man. There's so many games from that period that were just like like subpar platformers or beat em up games with just skins over them <laughs> i think my favorite one though which is like everyone knows this one is the uh turtles in time that, yeah th- that's well, good dude that's that i just recently beat that at a barcade man i love that game yeah yeah that's yeah. one of the that's one of the all-time great beat em ups in For my sure. mind phil do you have fond memories of those games okay so i grew up with the second genesis as a Lil, little little Lil guy and um you would you would be a second kid. X-Men That's why you two. are the way you are today. <laughs> yep. Yep. I was a second kid. Fucking hell. Um, X Men one and two were my fucking shit. And as a little kid, um, like what got me into comics was Nightcrawler. Just like the aesthetic and visual design of the character. I was like, this guy looks awesome, and that got me in the X Men. And so, like being able to play as Nightcrawler as a kid, that was like my first co- my first costume as a seven year old. My mom made a Nightcrawler costume wow, from scratch because, like, no one like they didn't sell Nightcrawler costumes I, back then. People didn't even know who Nightcrawler was back then. I'm not sure they know now. Yeah, oh, and fair. so like that was my fucking shit. Those games. Who? So Nightcrawler was your guy. Yeah, I always I constantly played as him. But like I remember what was cool about him, the only other character in those games that could do this was Wolverine, but like you could climb on walls right, and yeah. ceilings and stuff. Oh man. I'm sorry, I'm looking through a list of old, of these old games. You guys remember Captain America and the Avengers? That's the one I was talking about. Oh, yeah, that was my yeah, next that, one. That, game that was, was my not next good. one. <laughs> so my dad and I ever my dad and I played Captain America and the Avengers constantly. And like he was always Captain America, and I was always Iron Man or Hawkeye, because um, I thought Vision's design that game was lame as a kid, because he was like the all kind of pale white look. So for like three, we, for it took a long time, but eventually we beat the game together, and it got to that point where it was like, well, we, yeah, we can't play over. this anymore. We beat it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what that was fun about like the arcade style games is that like if you lost, that was it. Like like it wasn't like a pickup and play where you left off thing it was like start from scratch but like it made the endeavor that much rewarding when you actually achieved it marco do you have memories of those games uh no the only one was um honestly the where i started was like super Nin- the super nintendo um but i never had like those kind of games because it was a hand-me-down the only, the only superhero game that i had was uh spider-man on the ps1 that game, I um, I never actually like had it. I only ever had it as a demo because PlayStation you just send out like demo games when you subscribe to to something. Yeah. Like, yeah. So yeah. because of that, yeah. and I was like 
too cheap to go actually buy it. I would only ever play the demo, and they only ever had this one、uh, mode called kids mode, which is like like the e- the easiest thing. And so I would fly through, get to this one, like the last stage that you can play basically, and I would get so progressively like good at it. I would、uh, I would ask my brother to time me on how fast I can get to the end of the demo. Yeah, I mean, like I think the big one from that period that I would call out before we get to the fucking elephant in the room. Uh, would be Marvel vs. Capcom one and two, and then the X Men. I forget the name of it, but the X Men fighting game that they made that preceded that series. As Children、well. of the Atom. Yes, yeah, that's the one. Um, and yeah, the,、uh, Children of the Atom and and Marvel vs. Capcom are both good, but Marvel vs. Capcom two is like masterclass. That game is so fun. I still love that game. I still love that game. Roster is incredible. Uh, and it's just like. It's so fast, man. Like it, it's just—it's really fun. It's not like super well balanced, but it's—it's it's one of my favorite fighting games for sure. Um, yeah, that game I spent a lot of time playing. Um, and Children of the Atom I liked a lot too. I liked the fact that it had Juggernaut and Magneto in it. That was like the f- the first time you got to really play as those characters in a video game. Off that I can recall. So they had I, some deep、really、cuts too, man. Like they had like fucking you know like. I mean, I guess they're not they're deep cuts now, but like you know, characters like Psylocke and like Marrow and shit. Like, Marrow, wow, yeah, yeah, it's like weird ass X Men that like were really relevant in the nineties. Um, yeah, man, that game I spent I don't even know how many hours playing that game because when I was growing up, there was like two big arcades near me. Uh, there was like a Chuck E. Cheese that had a copy of it, and then there was this place called Fun Time America that like everybody had their birthdays at and would go and like play laser tag and stuff. Like it was like one of the cool places to go, and they had a machine there that um me and me and like two of my friends used to like ride fucking train on, and like you know like it, it was like very classic arcade. You come up, put your quarter down, and like play until you lose kind of deal. Um and yeah and then I remember eventually we we tracked down a copy of it when they ported it to the PS2 and it was like one of the earliest launch games you could get and it was like super rare uh to find that that game and that's another like really expensive one nowadays but um and we used to, I played that game all the fucking so, time so、uh, obviously there's a game we've neglected to mention because I wanted to save it and give it its special place on the show this game is absolutely terrible I think objectively it's one of the worst games ever made. Batman Arkham Asylum. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking yeah, no, about Superman sixty four. It might be the most. It might be the most trash game I've ever played. It really, it really might be.、Uh, okay, I mean, where do you start? The graphics are bad.、Uh, it controls like shit.、Um, everything has a like. It has that classic three D game, but we can't. We don't have any render distance, and instead of coming up with like a clever. Thing around that, we're just gonna put gray fog everywhere, and then make a story explanation that it's kryptonite fog, which is a thing that in seventy years of Superman, I don't think there's ever been no kryptonite fog. I'm pretty sure there is. It, all the th- all, all the things that I know about Superman, I'm pre- I'm pretty sure there is. You could probably find it in the Silver Age.、Yeah. Marco is the resident <laughs> there expert. Pro- there probably is. So、uh, Lex Luthor is the main bad guy, but you don't ever see him ever. It's just like voiceovers. Every single level is the entire main mechanic is you using the terrible flying mechanic to fly through fucking green kryptonite rings or some bullshit because that's somehow going to defeat Lex Luthor. Let alone in the fact that you're playing a game where you're fucking Superman, where you have the abilities of super strength and fucking laser vision, and there's nothing to fight, and you don't use any powers. You just fly, and the Controls are bad. It's a flight simulator with bad controls. That's what that game is, and it's cloudy. 
Oh, oh. <laughs> it's cloudy. This segment was called Pete's Tangent. Oh, and it was an N64 game, which meant it cost like $70. <laughs> like somebody, that was the one video game they got for Christmas that year. <laughs> and it was uh, it was based on the animated series, but too. Like, right. ba- but, but like, like barely. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, graphically and like so that they could lure you into spending your hard-earned money because you're like, man, that cartoon's awesome. This video game's going to be fucking awesome. And then you played it and God... What a kick in the fucking net, like six-year-old crotch that came once. <laughs> the six-year-old crotch. I remember my friend was a huge, huge Superman fan when we were kids, and he got that game for his birthday, and we booted up and played it for 20 minutes, and we were just like, fuck this game. Like, wow. And we were kids. None of this like, makes how sense. You, like, when you're kids, you will endure any level of shit game. Sean is living proof of that. Oh. <laughs> whoa. Whoa. Damn, whoa. dude. Whoa. Oh, my God. I'm kidding. Relax. I think, I, think you, I think you pretty much put the nail in the coffin of that game. There's nothing more that needs to be said. That sucks. Absolutely. Before, before that, there's one game that you cannot talk about PS2 without talking about. Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, 2 is probably one of the best uh, superhero games ever made. But there's one thing I'll never forget from that game that annoys me to this day. And it's the mini game where you're running around being Spider-Man and randomly a little girl loses her balloon uh, and you yeah. have to go get her balloon back. Spider-Man, help! I lost my balloon! <laughs> I never understood why we had to do that. Oh, man. Because... It's a, it's a cliche superhero yeah, thing, dude. Sean, if you were on Instagram, you would have seen the screenshot I posted from uh, Injustice where it's like, I miss the days when superheroes had time to help kids who fell off their bikes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? That's like a, that's like a yeah. Silver Age cliche. Spider-Man would do that. Spider-Man 2 is absolutely an amazing game and just so well-crafted. And I, I, I played that all summer long. That yeah, summer mean, like, when that came out. For its time, too, that game was, like, fucking amazing. Like, how well-rendered New York was was, like, what the fuck? (laughs) And you could touch the ground. That was the first Spider-Man game where you could actually be on the ground. (laughs) Where you didn't just plummet to your death. (laughs) Uh, So, I didn't get to play Spider-Man 2, but I did play the first one. And for me, like, yeah, that one was, uh, it was just as seminal. Like, uh, that was the first time I'd ever, like even seen like grand central station in anything where you fight the rhino um i love that game to pieces i really like the first game too like we're talking about the second one but i, I got my i got my rocks off on the first I one i think too. my favorite part of the first game was where you get to fight against bonesaw that was pretty legit yeah <laughs> the macho man did macho man do the voiceover yeah i think they just used his voiceover from the movie I got you for three yeah. minutes of playtime. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, though. You guys wanted to mention that, and that was a great game. Oh, man. Best one. See, now that, game. that game to me uh, was – that was what it sounds like your Spider-Man 2 experience was. Uh, I love that game. That game is seminal and criminally underrated. That game came out way late on the PS2's life cycle, and, like, that game is fucking fire. Like, really good i think it was bendis wrote that didn't he or he had a huge part yeah, in it yep. that's why it was good i thought that was cool yeah. that they got a comic book writer to write the game and especially like, back then like never i don't think that had been done and then like you could go read the comic 
and it was the same storyline. So that was just that just that did it for me for sure. Yeah, um, very cool. I I played that game like late. I actually bought that game like after the PS3 Xbox 360 era had come around, and I played it like years after the fact. And I was like, man, how did I miss this fucking game? Like, where was the push for this? So the PS2 era obviously is also the era where the the Marvel uh, Ultimate Alliance games came out. And, X-Men well, Legends. The X-Men Legends. The X-Men Legends yeah. games, yeah. I spent a lot of time with those games. Really love them. But we are X-Men Legends 2 was dope. Yeah, I, I played that a lot. You know, I think I liked X-Men Legends 1 more. I think so. Because I remember it being... Like I, I think I like the story more. I think. right. I, yeah. I don't really remember the stories honestly. Like I just remember I liked them a lot because they were those kinds of games that were really fun to like hang out with one of your buddies and like stay up all fucking night and just you know burst through the whole thing kind of deal. Yeah, yeah. We used to play a lot of that. X Men X Two had the uh, the apocalypse story. Right, I, right. Yeah, which was ho hum. Yeah, that was yeah, yeah. So then you jump into the PS3, Xbox 360 era, and you got... And we. Sorry? (laughs) And and we. And we. (laughs) There's all those those great Sega games on the Wii. (laughs) And that's when you get to Batman Arkham Asylum. Yeah, let's get the shitty ones out of the way first and then talk about Arkham Asylum, because Arkham Asylum and Arkham City are both master classes in gaming. So... For the crappy ones, you have Iron Sega's Man. Iron Man, Sega's Captain America. I got that Iron Man game for my birthday that year, and I knew it was going to be bad. I didn't ask for it, but I got it, and I was really disappointed, but I played it anyway, and I was like, wow, this is actually worse than I thought it would be. Yep, and it was like all motion controls. It was like first person, but you moved so fucking fast and weird. It was so bad. It was like a great idea for a game. It was just not well executed. There was also a Wolverine game. That was the other thing I was going to bring up because that game was actually good. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was a good game. I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I forget what it was called. Um, High Moon Studios and Activision were the ones who put out the Deadpool game. That was, by all accounts, all right. It was very middle of the road from what I remember hearing. But it was very faithful, actually, to Deadpool. The character. Yeah, very very faithful to the actual character. Uh, I had a couple Deadpool like uh, fan. Oh, I think it was actually called X Men Origins Wolverine. The movie, uh, the the game. Yeah, it was. It was another Activision game, but it was made by um, Raven Software. What's the name of the developer? Yeah, um, they used to make a lot of those games. Yeah. Yeah, they've made other like hack and slashes and stuff like that. Um, like they did, they did some of the. Um, Jedi stuff like Jedi Outcast and Jedi Academy and stuff like that back in the day. Um, so yeah, that that game was by all accounts like pretty excellent. Oh shit, they actually made X Men Legends as well. Yeah, I was I was thinking yeah they had made some other like uh, superhero games in the past. Yeah, but you don't get the first really good game till Arkham Arkham, Arkham Asylum. Arkham Asylum is I think actually legitimately the first superhero game that's a good game and not like a fine game or an okay game that flirts with being good or anything like that because like all the games we mentioned even the best of the best of those are middle of the road they're none of them are like exemplary they're none of them are like game of the year contenders or anything like that arkham asylum was a game that came out and like if you didn't give a fuck about batman you don't give a fuck about superheroes you would want to play it because it's a good game you know 
I, I think Spider-Man 2 is up there. I, I think I think Spider-Man 2 is a is a good game. I don't think it's a great game. Like Arkham Asylum is like a, a 10 out of 10, you know? Oh. Huh. I was going to suggest uh, Shattered Dimensions, but I didn't realize that I only got like 6 out of Shattered 10. Shattered Dimensions is another game I was going to give specific call out to. I think that game is very uh, enjoyable, but it's another one where it's like that game is like it's good, it's fun, but it's not a great game. It's not it's not particularly well designed. There's a lot of janky elements to it. It's it's worthy of a seven five. You know, it's it's good, not great. Huh. But yeah. Arkham okay. Arkham Arkham Asylum and Arkham City are both fucking like perfect. They are great experiences. They make you feel exactly like Batman. They nail all of the aspects of Batman in a way that I no other game has like it's not just an action game you're also fucking being a detective you're also it's also a stealth game you know and you have a certain amount of choice in how you handle situations um it makes you feel very powerful and very like just tactical and intelligent if you do what you're doing well arkham city does a great job of giving you those like i'm sitting on the edge of a building on a gargoyle looming out over the city and then i glide out and like help somebody like those moments like I can't overstate how well they capture the essence of like feeling like Batman and like the graphics are great. The gameplay is tight. Uh, you have like the fucking voice actors from the original animated series, which, you know, for people our age goes a huge way in establishing an aesthetic. Uh, I just, I can't sing those first two games praises enough. And Arkham Knight is trash. But we talk about that in the next no. gen. <laughs> uh, the the big thing for me with Ar- Arkham Asylum, I mean, we all knew it was going to be a good game, right? Like before it even came out, it was clear it was going to be good. But when I picked it up, and like within the first half an hour, I think you're in the sewers, and Killer Croc tries to kill you. Like he, like you're just kind of traversing, and then out of nowhere, Killer Croc just appears, and he just starts talking shit to you. That's when I was like, okay, this is a legit game. This is this is real. Yeah, I mean, for me, man, like I don't I don't think I've ever told this story on the show, so stop me if I have. But uh, for Arkham Asylum was a really special game for me because it came to me at a point where I was like I'd kind of fallen out of video games a little bit. It was uh, my first two years in high school. I, I played in my sophomore year, I think, and um, I it wasn't that I like wasn't playing games, but I just wasn't playing a lot of games. It was like most of the time I was spending gaming was like playing Halo Three with my friends and like having like days to get together and play smash and shit like that it was more of a social activity not like a solitary one and um it wasn't until i i my my friend andy who's uh, a member of slack and slash with me um loaned me arkham asylum and i i had like an hour to kill to play it i was like supposed to hang out with my girlfriend at the time or something like that and um and it, our plans ended up falling through and i had like went from i was planning to play it for an hour and i stayed up and played it for eight <laughs> and was like fuck this is amazing like this is such a good game and uh I, yeah that game has always had a really really special place in my heart because i went into it with like no expectations like i heard it was very good and that was it you know and i was like okay cool i'll play this batman game and i was i was totally fucking blown away you know and that was like one of the first games that like led me back into playing single player experiences and like really dedicating hours of my time to playing games every week you know and i think that uh, just to wrap up the conversation on that, I think that the Arkham, the first two Arkham games really showed that comic book characters could be put in games for more than just a quick cash in, that you, re- you really could make something amazing with those characters. Yeah, that if you have a talented team of developers that values the IP and like loves it, 
you know like rock said he clearly has a very a lot of love for batman and you know like that like for them it was a dream project and they got to make it and it was perfect and i think that you know jumping forward the games that we're getting now, like in the PS4, Xbox One era, aside, you know, we already acknowledged Arkham Knight is not a great game, but when you talk about the new Spider-Man game that's coming out, which looks phenomenal, and you you talk about what Telltale's doing with Batman, and now what Marvel's trying mm-hmm. to do, I think you're well. And, sorry, go ahead, Kale. Yeah, and in in injustice, injustice like, as well, which we. Forgot yeah. to shout out, but that's an incredible. Yeah, game. that's actually a last gen as well, right? Or was that on? Cool. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I mean, Spider Man, Batman, pretty much the two characters have had the most success, I would say. In, in really, the games. only ones with any success. <laughs> <you think about. laughs> hey, man, come on, the X Men, dude. There's like <laughs> meh. hit or miss, man. Hit yeah. or miss. All right, all right. Same hit as miss, uh, yeah. same as their. Same as their film success, right. like very hit or we miss. We got a lot of like seven out of ten A tier X Men games. They're all right, um, but yeah. And then moving over to the next, the, the current gen. Um, there's a couple games worth shouting out. I think um, listeners, I'm still here. Uh, <laughs> Marco, hey, sp- I swear I've played video games. <laughs> speak up, man. If you you want to talk about these, dude. no, I mean I literally haven't. So it's like, oh. Can't be, you can't can't have relevant experience on every topic, um, but yeah. So for this gen, um, there haven't been too too many, but uh, Arkham Knight obviously not good. It's literally just rehashing under the Red Hood, and the entire thing is like, swear to God, it's not Red Hood. We swear to God, we swear to God, J.K. It's Red Hood. It's like, all right. Also, the Batmobile fucking sucked. Like the whole tank thing was like really not fun. It's like I want to be Batman. I don't want to play World of Tanks. <laughs> One game, one game that I do want to shout out that's from this era, but it's not a console game, is Marvel Heroes for the computer. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, that's the like Diablo style game, right? Yeah, it's a it's a Diablo style uh, game where you can pretty much play as like any Marvel character, and they've all got a unique power set. It, the game has raiding content if you're familiar with like you know World of Warcraft or anything like that. Like, yeah, it's it like it's, a, it's an MMO. Sorry. It's an MMO. Yeah, it's 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 an MMO, um, and it feels very like accurate. Like the characters feel like they probably would if you could play as them, or if you you know if you could be them in a lot of senses. Um, I I played that a lot. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's not the best game, but it it definitely is cool if you want to have a smattering of characters to choose from and in a persistent world. You know, with all the villains, all the heroes, everybody. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, DC has a, a a big MMO too. Yeah, don't DC they? Universe Online. Is that right? I've, wow. I've heard. Yeah. Has anybody played I that? Is any good? But a lot of people really like it. Like it was on. Uh, it was it was the first MMO to come to consoles that I remember. Like it came out on the PS3, which was like a huge deal, and it got really popular there. And then when they made PS4, they actually ported it over to P uh, to PS4 because it was so popular, and they didn't want to like have that community die. And it's still going strong. PS4 is fucking four years in. It's like that. I think that game has been going for like seven years now, or some shit like that. Yeah, I I actually played it quite a bit when it first came out. It's really fun, and it's better than it. It's way better than it was. They've they've improved on it a lot. Uh, one other thing, uh, we totally forgot to mention this. Shout out to Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom Three. That was a good game too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we're getting uh, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite really soon. 
Yeah, which looks pretty bad. Ah, <laughs> oh. well, well, I don't know, dude. I, I don't know. I do, that trailer really unhyped me. Let, let's talk about the the future of uh, these games. Really, fast. yeah. I don't think there's. I don't think there's anything else, right? No, it's just so. I mean, for the for, for the games that have come out, there's not really much. It's been kind of dry because Marvel. Oh has, no, dude! Walking Dead from Telltale. That's another oh, one. Well, well, yeah. There you go. And then We're, Fables as well. We're thinking big too, but yeah, uh, Wolf Among Us, Wolf Among Us, yeah, from f- for Fables. Wolf um, Among Us, yeah, Wolf Among Us oh, was I've another uh, Telltale game. It's based on Fables. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've heard of that one. Oh, I didn't know it was based it's, on Fables. Oh, it's fucking amazing. You should go play it. That's cool. It's really good. Um, it's really good. I've never read Fables, but it's it's really good. Um, and then they also did that other Batman Arkham Origins, which was like a spinoff game that some people liked. I don't know about that, though. I didn't play it. So it was, that's it, it. We hit everything else. I heard it, yeah, I heard it was bad. Um, <laughs> but then there's also uh, we have Batman the Telltale series, which came out this year, which I loved quite a bit. Uh, and then Batman Arkham VR on, on PSVR also came out this year, which was pretty cool. Yeah, I have it. I haven't finished it. Um but it's like a two-hour Batman experience, and it has all the voice actors from the Arkham games and stuff. So it's like a very focused on like solving a mystery kind of detective work, Batman stuff. Well, I think the future of comic book games is in good hands right now. Uh, Marvel seems intent on giving their properties over to legitimate uh, gaming companies, gaming publishers who have – you know the cachet to make really great games i mean that avengers game looks like it's going to be really good uh the spider-man game i mean all the trailers for it look fantastic everything we've heard about it sounds great so i'm really excited the to names see. alone there are you know it's like insomniac like they make great games fucking square enix crystal dynamics idos montreal are all all good you know good names Squares, Squares, but publishing of Western stuff has been on point for like years now. So like Eidos Montreal and uh, and Crystal Dynamics have been fucking killing it for like five years. <laughs> and I don't think it's over. I think we're going to continue to see announcements. I would look to E three. I would, I would really, be, I really believe that Marvel is trying to make a big splash because the mobile games were successful, but they weren't elite. And I think Marvel wants to have an elite presence in gaming alongside their film stuff and their comic book stuff. So yeah. there's that. And um, I think not only elite because it's also like quality. Like I think they want their name to mean something in video games the same way it means something in, in movies now and stuff where it's like that brand is it, – it's worth something. You know, It's like – and then making partnerships like this is like that's the way to do it, man. Like people love these IP. They Like I'm sure there are a million developers chomping at the bit to get some of these IP, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I guess, like, if I'm talking about what I would like to see, I would like to see DC make some some games that aren't just Batman related. I mean, uh, there's a rumor going around that Rocksteady is going to move on from Batman and do, like, a Justice League game or make a Superman game or something. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of untapped potential for a Superman game. I think a Flash game could be really cool as well. I, Green Lantern would be a fun sci-fi Green Lantern game. Green could yeah. be really fun. Yeah, that could be really cool too, especially because like if there was like a decent amount of like character customization where you could like build different trees to like have different kinds of yeah. like lantern powers, could be really yeah. fun. Yeah, I could see yeah, a Flash yeah. game working like a Sonic game. Yeah, have it be like an endless runner kind of thing. No, That'd be fun. Well, depending on what kind of Sonic mechanic you have. No, I, but I mean like, but good. You know, like like a Sonic game, but made well. <laughs> 
Like, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm thinking like I'm thinking like original Sega Sonic, where you're going through oh, the loops. Man. And- <laughs> Collecting rings. I, I don't know. I, I would play I would, that game. I could, I would. See the, I could see that. I th- super super speed is a hard mechanic to make fun. Yeah. Games. Like I feel like a flash game would really need it. Would it couldn't be like an action superhero game. It would need to be like a rhythm game. You know, or where it's like it's about like getting in a momentum and running fast and dodging things and whatever. Like that could be really cool. That would be good for like a small developer. You know, maybe like an indie developer or something like that. I think like Pie in the Sky. It would be cool to see like Valve do a. Uh... A Green Lantern game. Man, like, Valve doesn't even make games anymore. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. You, that's why yeah, I say pie yeah. in the sky. It's, like the, like, it's funny, man. Like, you know, they don't even have the resources to like make a game anymore. Like, all the people that are still there from the days when they made games are now like, you know, senior people in the Steam or Valve infrastructure, and like, they have the teams that maintain the few online games that they put out. But like, that's it. It's like, yeah. But you know, I mean, not that sad. Game. I don't know if you guys uh, heard this, but I reported it on. Uh, the Slack cast over on Slack and Slash last week that Gabe Newell is worth more money than Donald Trump. Yeah. And also, not for nothing, Gabe Newell's a self-made man. So, yeah. just just yeah, pointing that out there. <laughs> uh, and and just finally, I'd really like to see uh, a, a new X-Men game that is really good. Dude, um, I, I want to see them do what I said earlier, where they take the idea of something like X-Men Destiny and make and let Bioware make it. That's so obvious too, right? Like that, like that be would so be, easy. yeah, that makes so much sense. Um, I think that's perfect for the X Men, and I think that that speaks to Marvel's desire to put out something that is is true to the core of who the characters are, but also a fun and interesting game. I think that that would, that's absolutely perfect. I think um I think it'd be really cool to see somebody like Team Ninja uh take on um like Deadpool or Wolverine too. Because they have that like hack and slash route, and they're really good at making like action games that are like really bloody and like all over the fucking place. And like, I think having like a mature Wolverine game would be really fun, or just Deadpool, because you know Deadpool can get away with that. Um, and have it be like a really legit hack and slash, and have it be like totally manic and cartoony would be really fun. Also, uh, Telltale, like Telltale doing Guardians is awesome, but I think Telltale doing. many things would be really cool an x-men telltale game would be really cool i think a spider-man telltale game that's focused around the symbiote would be really cool as well yeah i I feel like i feel like you could take pretty much any comic character or property and you put it in the right hands and you have a really you have the potential for a really great game and so i'm just excited for the future of these kinds of games and seeing what developers have in store for us i agree i one last final wish list thought for me is like more than anything for years i've been saying i really want to see them make an invincible telltale game i don't think invincible is ever really going to work as a movie i think it would be great as a series but that'll probably never happen so like telltale put it make, make it a telltale game see if that gets renewed like bigger interest in it and then maybe you go for the movie um so that wraps up our conversation on comic book video games uh hope you enjoyed it it was a lot of fun for me to go down memory lane even though pete shit on my love <laughs> for sega sega games um hey man i, I, I love them too they're just bad <laughs> oh, come on. i think i think most of us have a fond mem- fond memories of these kinds of games so it's always fun to mix it up and talk about that and you know go down memory lane let us know what your memories are of these kinds of games you can hit us up at gmail uh, at the comics pals 
at gmail.com and just let us know if there's a game you're looking forward to or what kind of game you'd like to see made of your favorite comic book characters. Uh, so we're about to wrap up the show, but before we do that, I want to let you guys know that you can find us all over the place. Let us know what you think about this episode. Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at the Comics Pals. You can find us on Facebook at the Comics Pals. Uh, you can also hit us up on YouTube. Like and comment on this video and definitely subscribe to our YouTube channel at the Comics Pals. Hit us up on iTunes, Comics Pals. You can write to us and leave us a five-star rating. We really appreciate it. Uh, the biggest thing you guys can do, by the way, to really help us out is spread the word about this show. If you're a fan of the show, if you enjoy the show, if you like what we do, let your friends know. Share it with your friends. Make new pals out of your boys and girls. Please. Thank you. Uh, review us on iTunes. That helps us uh, get higher in the iTunes charts and it lets uh, people see us. Yeah, definitely. As well plugs pete set cool. us off all right so thanks again for joining us here on episode 14 of the comics pals if you guys want to see more from me you can follow me on social media at loud underscore pete on instagram and twitter uh come talk to me about art um i'm also writing over at cbr.com uh, where i'm writing list articles once or twice a week i just put out one about 15 times that superman killed someone so go check that out and help me pay the rent uh, and then if you want some more content from me, you can go check out my YouTube channel called Slack and Slash, which we talked about a little bit today, uh, where we do Let's Plays. We have a podcast every Monday. Uh, we do scripted content about games, all kinds of stuff um, with me and a couple of my other buddies. So you can visit us at slackandslash.com, Slack and Slash on Twitter, all that stuff, uh, or at youtube.com slash Slack and Slash. Thank you very much. Kale. Uh, as for me, I'm going to... Uh, uh, promote uh, my comics company's panels publishing. We're a small comics company that uh, really tries to get uh, novice creators into the industry. Uh, so follow us on Facebook. We're uh, Panels Comics. We're on uh, uh, Twitter as Panels Comics with an X. Uh, you can find us on uh, Comicsology under Panels Publishing, and uh, you can find uh, figure out what we're doing on uh, PanelsPublishing.com. You can follow me on uh, Twitter. And Instagram at Toto in Toe. That's T O T O I N T O W. Awesome. Marco. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at Woe is Marco. Uh, Twitter just has an underscore at the very end. Uh, and Phil is Doc. A dummy. <laughs> he's, he is, <laughs> aside from that, he's a, he has that cyborg holiday, holiday with two L's, like the name. Spelled like Doc Holiday. Yeah. Um, on Instagram and Twitter. Awesome. With that, we are the Comics Pals signing off. Take care, guys. Bye. Good night. Be sure to come back next week and watch us on the Longbox Podcast. Bye. <laughs>